0: This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation? Huh? Sequels suck.
1: Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's
0: all about money, boys! Here we go again.
1: I've also committed
0: numerous health code violations in my restaurant. Some of them would shock you. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Franchise Fatigue. This is a show where we explore film series one movie at a time. I am your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I am here with my partner in crime, James Hamrick. What's up, man? Nothing
1: much. What's going on? I feel like <laughs> I'm just going to repeat myself last week and saying, like, man, it feels
0: like it's been forever. I think it's been a good month and a half, two months, since we last recorded on the MCU. And <laughs> this episode, in particular, on Ant-Man and the Wasp, has been delayed so many, so many times. Uh, I almost don't believe that we're actually going to do it. Something's going to happen. Disaster will strike, and we are not going to finish. I was about this to say, I'm
1: making sure like my laptop is charged, my mic is plugged in.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so as I said, uh, we are here to uh, talk about Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, finally, back, back into the MCU. And before we get to that film, I want to ask you guys if you enjoy the show to please head on iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Um, and also you can like us on Facebook. I thought would be very helpful. Let's just move right into our talk on *A Man of the Wasp*. Uh, so I asked on Facebook and Twitter what our listeners thought about this film. And on Facebook, uh, Drew said it was fun and enjoyable, but it wasn't anything special in my opinion. The quantum realm stuff they introduced was pretty cool. But other than that, it was a very basic film, in my opinion.
1: Other Drew, uh, our friend Drew Dodgen from the Cellcast, said, Great sequel to the first and a very fun movie. And you can believe that because I think I just drank some truth serum.
0: Uh, Becky said, I remember liking at the time, but honestly, I don't even remember it now. So that's probably saying something.
1: (laughs) Byron said, well, not as good as the first picture. Ant-Man and the Wasp has a lot of heart and refreshingly has a villain who is very different from the hero. My one complaint is that Walter Walton Goggins and his gang were not connected to someone personally having them work for aim or rogue fragments of shield would have added to them. Otherwise a very enjoyable watch.
0: Samuel said, very fun film better than the first Ant man. I don't know about
1: that. Bill said, I loved it. The mix of comedy and seriousness were just right for me.
0: And then on Twitter, uh, Mike at Jarek said some clever visual gems, but I never really got invested in the main narrative, but still a a fun movie. So moving into the behind-the-scenes story of the film, in October of 2015, three months after the first film's release, a sequel was officially announced with the title Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Peyton Reed would be returning as the director. Gabriel Ferrari and Andrew and Andrew Barrar, who had come on late um, in Ant-Man and done uncredited work during filming, uh, were hired to write the sequel. There were also a whole bunch of other writers involved. Uh, Adam McKay returned from the first film. Uh, The team of Chris McKenna and Eric Summers came over from Spider-Man Homecoming. And then uh, Paul Rudd and Peyton Reed were also heavily involved in the writing process. The final credited writers uh, were Ferrari, Bauer, Paul Rudd, and then McKenna and Summers. Um, And then the Russo brothers were also in close communication with the production just to make sure the movie lined up with Infinity War and Endgame.
1: So, for the film's cast, uh, Hannah John Kamen uh, was cast as Ava Starr, a.k.a. Ghost. Um, The character is usually uh, portrayed as a male in the comics, but the creative team thought that uh, gender is mostly irrelevant to this character, and they actually thought that recasting it as a woman would be more interesting because it allowed the continuation of this kind of father-daughter theme where you had um, Scott and Cassie and Hank and um, Hope, and then... um, why am I forgetting Bill Foster Bill, and then Bill and Ava. Uh, and actually, you know, I totally buy that. I think it does actually work here and I like their relationship a lot. Yeah. Uh, Randall Park, uh, who plays Jim from the office, uh, was <laughs> cast as Jimmy Woo. His
0: one claim to fame.
1: <laughs> yep. Uh, FBI agent and Lang's parole officer. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer portrays Janet Van Dyne. Uh, and I think we went over this in the original, uh, Ant-Man episode where, they, the person they cast, um, I think it's, I think it's, uh, Haley Lovett had played her in the, the little snippet you get in the first Ant-Man and she was cast because she has very Michelle Pfeiffer-like eyes and mm-hmm. so from the outset she was who Reed was hoping to get um, and so they were able to, to get that for this one. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne was cast as Bill Foster uh, and this is funny because it was actually Fishburne who had approached Marvel. Um, he had pitched them a few different ideas for who he'd like to play. Uh, I don't think we know who he was hoping to play, um, but they ended up offering him Bill Foster. And then, of course, you have your Stanley Lee um, cameo. Uh,
0: so for filming, uh, Dante Spinotti was, uh, replaced uh, Russell Carpenter from the first film as director of photography. A big change to the look of the sequel was that this was shot to be presented in the uh, standard uh, 2.39 by 1 aspect ratio, which is the standard widescreen, instead of the taller uh, 1.85 by 1, which is kind of a a fuller screen ratio uh, that the first one was shot in. Um, I couldn't find any word uh, from Reed as to why the change was made, but that that was interesting. Uh, The film was shot primarily as our most uh, recent MCU films in and around Atlanta, Georgia, along with a bit in San Francisco and Hawaii.
1: For the film score, um, it was announced that uh, Christoph Beck, who composed the score for the original, was going to return. Um, he did, and he uh, he brought back the main theme from the original Ant Man, but he also created a new theme for the Wasp. <coughs> and when it came to scoring individual scenes, he said he would try to rely more uh, heavily on the Wasp theme than the Ant Man theme to try to give the film a, a newer sound. Uh, the film had its wide or had its world premiere at the El Capitan Theater um, on June 25th, 2018. And then it had its wide release, uh, on July 6th. All right.
0: Um, so James, what was your original experience with this film and has, have your thoughts on it changed at all over the last uh, year and a half?
1: So, um, I, I know we just had an entire episode on infinity war, so I won't rehash my thoughts too much there, but you know, I was, I was really happy, uh, at this point with Marvel. Um, I was really impressed with what they were able to do with, um, infinity war and I knew going into Infinity War, you know, this is it. This is kind of what we've been building to. But just seeing how seriously they were taking it, it, it made me a lot more excited for Ant-Man and the Wasp and Captain Marvel. And especially Endgame after seeing what they were capable of with this big culmination. So I went into Ant-Man and the Wasp, like both looking forward to it. And a bit disappointed because you know I'm riding high off of off of that, and I'm wanting a conclusion here. I'm wanting more of this tone. And I know a lot of people were happy that it was Ant-Man and the Wasp, just because it's kind of called this palate cleanser, something to to be happy with again. But <laughs> I was I was just so in that headspace. I just want to be happy again. <laughs> yeah, I I was very very much in the headspace of Infinity War. So I went in excited, but really wanting something more. But I ended up having a lot of fun, uh, especially with that first viewing. Um, and they they go back, you know. You've got that great end credit scene, so it was able to satisfy that light breezy fun while still reminding you of where we were at this point in the infin- or in the in the MCU. And so I wasn't head over heels or anything, um, but it was fun. And that's mostly where I've stayed. It's I you may kill me when you find when you find out how I where I have it ranked, um, <laughs> but but that's kind of been. Uh, my relationship with it for the most part since I saw it was just, it is fun. I always enjoy my time with it in the moment. Um, But for like, there's not a whole lot of like staying power to it, but it's also never like overtly bad either. So, so I I had fun with it for what it was.
0: Yes. I I saw this twice in theaters. Um, I enjoyed it, uh, but you know, not as much as the first film. Um, you know, like the first film, I just appreciated that we could still have a goofy little movie like this, even as you know, the world is ending in the concurrent MCU film. So, yeah, I feel like you know, it's a very enjoyable film, but I do agree that it didn't have all that much staying power. Um, and my thoughts are kind of the same as they were, just a bit more refined now. So diving into Ant-Man and the Wasp, one thing that really stuck out to me you know, right off the bat is – I believe that this is the only MCU movie that has like a recap prologue yeah. where they literally just tell you this is what happened in the previous. One. Like, I, I don't think there's any new information in that. Like, there's, like, one one sequence is kind of expanded, but even then, we knew all the information given there. It was just strange to have that. Again, I, I guess they really had so little confidence in the Ant Man brand that they thought that maybe people just don't remember ant man that's what it
1: feels like because it was one of the lower grossing ones and it also like when did the first ant man come out 2015 15 after age of ultra yeah so so yeah this was you know three it was three years old at this point and we just we just saw infinity war so i think this is just like okay guys this is what happened in that little bitty movie three
0: years ago yeah, but it was it was strange because like all even then all the information that they give in that prologue is kind of like seeded throughout the film, so it, it was not exactly necessary. Um, maybe that was just kind of a last minute decision. I'm surprised they didn't
1: go like two towers and just like ha- like have them wake up from a dream about it or something.
0: Much that once was <laughs> is now lost. Uh so like diving into the thing that makes Ant Man Ant Man. On top of, I think, just the very goofy, glib, funny tone that the films carry around is how low stakes they are. Like, when you look at this movie, all of the big stakes are deeply personal for the character. Like, even more personal than even the first film, which did have kind of a ticking clock type element with, uh, with, uh, what's, what's the bald villain dude's name? uh Corey stole. What's, what's his villain name? Oh, uh, Darren oh, Cross. Uh, yeah. Um, where he's going to sell the thing. And we got to stop it. And here it's like, it's just Scott has to maintain his house arrest. Hope and Hank want to get their mom back. And Ava wants to just stop hurting and, and to save herself. Like the, those are the stakes of this big, big you know, $180 million MC, however much, however much it costs. And, there's just something so charming and lovable about that, that we can just have this movie that doesn't need to end the world, that we can, you know, has just very personal stakes. We care about these things because the people we like care about them. And that's just enough.
1: Yeah, it it was cool that they didn't feel the need to, to escalate. Um, because I do think, you know, that is what, you know, when people talk about, how much they love the first one and despite it being you know one of the lower grossing ones it still has like a big following like a lot of people consider it one of their favorites uh and i think so much of that is because we don't have to like feign um any suspense like we don't have to pretend to think that the world might end because obviously in a movie like this where it, it is you know it's a it is a comedy and we don't have to pretend that all of these this is all what it's, what's at stake. And so by going smaller, we can just kind of enjoy the levity and enjoy the fun, um without kind of rolling our eyes at this, you know, what they're telling us is this threat.
0: And I think the scene that really captures what I love about these movies is our introduction to Hank. Not to Hank, to Scott in this
1: movie.
0: He's got he's got the map. He's obviously he, he's on some kind of heist then he brings the map down is Cassie's there. It's like, it's the back and forth between those two actors is just delightful. And, uh, you know, Peyton Reed, like he, he's not the most dynamic director, but he's far more dynamic than I think your average comedy director. That He he's, he's all, there's kind of, there's, there's a, there's a lightness of touch, I think to these movies that it's not just, you know, point the camera in a blandly lit set and let, let everybody riff off each other. So there's actual energy to his direction to, um, and with this sequence, which it's just fun and they're so delightful together. And it's just a dad t- trying to entertain his ten-year-old when he can't live the house. And <laughs> when a Michael Pena pops up, oh no, the fuzz. <laughs> and I just Like I could watch that forever. I don't, I don't need, I don't even need the shrinking. Just these people being, being goofy together.
1: Yeah. Cassie is like the heart of these movies. I, I refuse to believe that she's not actually his daughter because that's like (laughs) maybe I'm going to have, I would have to think about like a father daughter relationship that I like more in movies because this is the one that most comes to mind. And she is just so like much fun in the role and like she's her lines are always just as funny as his and her delivery is always just as good as his. And like, it's not like, Oh, that person was funny right there. Or it's just like the whole conversation, the whole scene, anything involving them is, is just perfect. You know, like the world's greatest grandma award. It's, <laughs> it's, ah, I just love it. I,
0: ha- I haven't talked to hope or Hank in forever. They hate us guts. Thanks be <laughs> <Peanut. laughs> Yeah, And like,
1: I'm with you. You could take out the Ant Man aspect and all of this stuff, and, and I would completely watch like a rom com about him and Evangeline Lilly, and she's his daughter. And it's, it.
0: I'd have fun with it. Yeah, um, that's that's like a hallmark film in the making.
1: Let's, let's do go. this. Now you see why I love them.
0: Yeah, so like the, that that tone is is the thing that I love with the movie. And I I do want. I think I just want to get my biggest issue with this film out of the way. Um. I think we feel, like, the eight writers involved in this movie, uh, like, just the movie feels scattershot. Is that something you you feel as well?
1: Yeah, I was like, I'm nodding my head in agreement, glad that, like, we're on the same page here. Because what it almost felt like to me was that game where everybody takes a turn adding something to the story where they say... (laughs) And now Sonny Burt shows up and now the ghost shows up and now they have this here, but then Sonny has this. And it's just this constant, there's it's weird because I was thinking about it. I, I really like movies with a sense of constant movement and constant escalation. And this movie in a way does have that where we're constantly on the move. This person has this, we got to go get them. Now we're being followed by this person. Now this person has this info and they've caught us over here. We're always moving but the elements just feel so disparate that there's there's nothing really working in cohesion and also movies with that sense of constant escalation also do have a bit more like drama or um uh, or like or sense of worry you know there's something really driving it and mm-hmm. because this movie is so like fun and breezy um uh, i do think the amount of levity and the amount of fun here in a way, actually kind of detracts from the momentum. And so you're just kind of like, well, we got to go talk to this person and have a good time, and then we're going to go talk to this person and have a good...
0: You know what I mean? Yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot over the last you know, week and a half. I, I think the one of the big issues, I believe, I believe that the drama and the plot are kind of disconnected in the movie, in that like they're, they're, the conflict... I don't even want to say a lack of drama. I think the core there's a lot of good drama in this movie. You have, you know, uh, the continuing themes of Scott just trying to be a good dad and you know having to be there for his daughter and not and not screw it up. You have Hank and Hope try. They have to get the, they have to get a uh, Janet out of the quantum realm. Ava needs you know to heal herself, and and those are definitely you know in a way connected to the action because. What you know? What Ava wants, and what Hank, uh, Hank and Hope want, kind of they're at a crossroads. But uh, maybe it's not so much that they're disconnected, but that, that there's very little. Uh, I think there's very little dramatic tension in the movie. Like the things, the issues they have. Like people want these things, and there are roadblocks in the way to getting them. But there seems to be very little in the way of like just personal struggle. It's more just I want this. How can I achieve that? and almost nothing in the way of like growth or forcing the characters to change and and, and that, that kind of interaction between action and character where, where you have character arcs like the the, the characters are pretty as like fairly static throughout so while the, the the centers i think the center of the drama is sound it doesn't bring a lot of conflict
1: yeah what's funny is the character i find most interesting by the end of it is actually bill foster but even, like, I feel like, you know, you have these different conflicts, and the only one they make personal, really, um, outside of like the main conflict being trying to get uh, Janet back. But with these external things, you know, you have the, the history and the baggage with Bill. But everything else feels mostly perfunctory, like, well, we need to have villains. And something that I thought on this most recent viewing is that... You, you kind of have two villains, but both feel like they're functioning in the secondary villain role. And it feels like there's a primary villain shaped hole in this movie to me.
0: Yeah, I, I feel like Sonny Birch and his goons should have been like ghost henchmen or something. Like, I, 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 like Sonny Birch feels like a hole that didn't really need to be there. Like, to me, I, I would have walking.
1: I would have made him a bigger part, like have him representative of maybe one of the shady organizations that have used ghosts before and and he could be promising her something. Like she would be or working for game, kind of? yeah, yeah. working for him. And he'd be, you know, the face to whatever organization
0: is behind her since we know she has a, a history of that. That could work too. Yeah, but I I feel like having two separate entities as the antagonists just kind of I think discredits both of them. Um yeah. Yeah, and because just Sonny Birch brings really no dramatic tension to the movie, and not not even a lot of plot tension. Like he's not exactly that much of a threat. Yeah, so like I feel like there's there's a weird lack of dramatic tension in this film, despite I think a lot of potential being there. Like I love that they brought over the aspect of like all the the broken relationships and all, like Hank's Hank's ego, kind of and the 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 kind of just swath of human destruction that kind of follows in his wake, you know, whether that is something that uh, people are projecting onto like And that's a really cool thing I love is that we're constantly told about all the mistakes Hank's made and all the people he drove away, but we're never actually, we never actually see it. So we never entirely know whose side of the story is correct. And that's something that feels very real. Like we have that argument between Bill Foster and Hank and obviously Hank is a difficult person, but you, you don't. You, but he, H- Hank also has all these defenses that, and you know, he has a side of the story. So, like, you you don't know, you know whether one side is exaggerating or not or or, or minimizing, and, and it feels very real. Like when you when you kind of meet someone who with all this all this history, and you hear about all the drama, and they're like, you you never you never entirely know which side to believe. Yeah.
1: I think my favorite instance of that is, you know, when he's like, uh, "and and that's why I quit." You didn't quit; you were fired. Best decision I ever made. And like, we just keep moving. It's it's that whole situation's never really resolved or made any clearer. And and I do, I do like that it kind of leaves that gray in the middle of, just kind of assuming the truth is somewhere in between. I because I, I think you can only go so far in just having like Hank screwing up everything in his past. Uh, because if that's all the character is, I think it gets to be a bit redundant. Uh, and so, like, giving him reason maybe for some of his frustration, the fact, like, maybe some of this is exaggerated and it's kind of, like, uh, hardened him, you know, made him more, uh, you know, annoyed with all of this stuff. So so I I do like that it's not this binary, like, he did all of this and he's bad for all of this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but I do like that idea of people kind of causing their own problems. Really, it's just it's the same with Scott, where you know he he kind of brought him, this situation on himself by by taking the suit and going to Germany, um, and you know now he's under house arrest and he like it's 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 you know people kind of creating their own problems <laughs> to quote uh, to quote uh, Iron Man three you know we create our own demons. Um, I do like that idea. Like I, I like nearly every idea present in this film. I, but I do feel like the, the, it's, so, it's so kind of flitting about that it never quite lands on a single one. Like, you, if you ask me what are the themes of this film, I could tell you 100% what the themes of the first film are. I don't entirely know if I could give you, a, like, a central theme for this movie.
1: Yeah, and it's weird because, you know, so it's called Ant-Man and the Lost, and I think they really wanted, and mostly succeeding, you know, having, like, this, be dual led. Scott is still definitely your primary or primary protagonist, but um, Hope is you know fairly, like really well involved in the plot. But what's weird is that you still have you still have most of the point of view from Scott, and he's still largely driving the narrative in terms of or not driving the narrative. He's who, he's who we're with for most of the screen time. In terms of pure charisma, Paul Rudd will win every time. Well, that's true, but he has no real arc, and he his conflict is kind of this constant having to check in. He cannot get caught doing all of this, but he's most mostly absent from like the actual like emotionally not emotionally absent because obviously he wants them to get Janet back, but that's not his story. And so you the this main conflict this emotional conflict revolves around uh hank and hope but they're also not like really leading the movie
0: That's, i feel like the movie it feels weird to wants me. hope and her desperation to get her mother back to be the central heart of the film and in a lot of scenes it is i think like i think that is very well played but i, I but there's no there's no conflict in that like it's just we want we want to get our mother and you know some guys are trying to stop us but there's no there's no internal dramatic um stakes there well not stakes is the right word? but like conflict you know the, the, we, we need like we need to, that that to have a cost or something and, and I
1: think part of the issue is that aside from maybe that opening scene there, there may be instances I'm overlooking but almost any time we see her we're always seeing her from Scott's point of view like whenever we we or she picks him up and takes him to the lab. Like any time we see her subsequently in the film, it's we're also almost always with Scott, and so we almost feel like he does, which is some some sense of outsider looking into this other drama. And I yeah. just don't feel like as an audience we're ever allowed to be like emotionally involved with the drama. We're always just kind of these... I
0: think the one scene that we get is uh I think one of the best scenes in the movie when Janet kind of possesses Scott. Yeah, I love that Which, scene. Speaking of that scene, that, that scene is is so freaking good. and I think all most of that it's down to the writing but also Paul Rudd's performance because <laughs> so great. Halfway through that scene, you forget that this is Paul Rudd. And this is it's just Janet. And that you know, that, that goes that credit has to go to you know, Michael um Michael Douglas and Evangeline, Lee, the way they just play off, and like, and they're like, Janet, and he kind of touches his face. Hey, baby. Like, it's, it's so, it's hilarious, but there's all, it also get, get, gets past the comedy into actual genuine drama.
1: It, what was so funny is on my first viewing, like, whenever he snaps out of it, and he's like, oh, sorry, I got nothing. Like, it was almost me snap. like, oh, yeah, this is Paul Rudd. Like, because, like you said, you just, you kind of forget that you forget what's going on. And the scene is just completely played as if it's just a the family there. <laughs> so, uh, I really like having him come back into the middle of it. And it feels almost, uh, equally jarring to the audience. to be like, Oh yeah, that's, that was just happening. We it let that scene exist long enough, um, for the coming back moment to really, to work the way it does.
0: Yeah. And we get the, this little picture of the, family that was lost. um, and kind of why they need to get her back, uh, you know. Just giving giving Janet some presence where she you know she's been so absent from the film. I feel like we're just gonna have to jump around in this review, to <laughs> the way the film does. Uh, how how do you feel about Ghost as an, as a villain as a and as a character?
1: Uh, it's weird because I it it's hard knowing what standard to to judge her by, you know. Because like, were there a larger uh, antagonist here? I think she could function as just this really cool uh, secondary villain who has their own motivations, clearly defined motivations. Like I, I feel like that would work. But as someone who's pretty much having to, you know, lead a lot of this conflict, um, you know, like we said, Sunny Bird shows up here and there, but but most of their pursuit, well, actually, kind of think, You also have um, the FBI. Yeah. (laughs) You've got Jin like, Wu. yeah, it's three, you've got three external forces constantly pursuing, um, but none are really, you know, none of them have any sort of personal connection to, to anything going on. Uh, but I, 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 would, I
0: would say, well, she, uh, uh, Ava has a personal desire in all of this. She has a personal desire, but she's,
1: there, there's nothing emotionally relevant between her and and our characters. Partially,
0: I, I would say, no, I would say, it plays into the the trail of wreckage left behind you know, by Hank Pym's ego, where where whether it is true or not, she views Hank Pym as responsible for what happened to her father and what happened to her and her stolen childhood and all that.
1: Yeah, it, to me, that that works well enough, but it it also feels weird because it almost feels one or two layers removed from our protagonist where it's it's the like it's the romantic interest of our protagonist's father and so you know it's and, and I don't think that the movie has there's not a lot between Scott and Hank like they their dynamic doesn't really grow or shift too much and so by placing any sort of like personal um conflict, almost completely on Hank and not really having Hank or Scott interact in like a, a really meaningful way just e- makes even the conflict itself feel a bit removed.
0: Which I think, like, I, like, Hank in the first Ant-Man, I think Hank was probably an even bigger character than Wasp, than, than Hope was. I, I think which so. isn't really continued here.
1: And I think that's fine. Like, I like yeah. the idea of the co-leads. It, it is just weird that, like, he's... His role, in a way, is reduced, and yet he's the only person who really he's, – he's this touchstone for any of the external conflict, aside from Wu and, and the – but that, that doesn't – I don't feel like that really counts.
0: It's almost as if if they wanted to continue this like – if they wanted to tell this story, they would have to have had a really sharp shift from Scott to Hope, or, or Hope and Hank together, because that, that's where the drama is
1: and what i what i wish happened was that we first meet hope through scott and then instead of us leaving the scene with scott scott would leave the scene and then let the narrative kind of shift over to hope and hank mm-hmm. like take out that opening like scene where we re-go over what we already know and just begin with scott then we meet them and then have scott leave and then we spend uh, a significant amount of time with hope and hank and then we get to learn the conflict while like, you know, they're mid plan or, or wherever they are at this point, you know, even yeah. as the movie is and then learn about it with them um, and then just let them have bits of drama together. Because I really like their that father daughter relationship as well. It's just we don't mm-hmm. have a lot of time for for them to connect or to feel like the struggle for them.
0: And bringing that back to the villain, both characters are, were, were quote unquote hurt by Hank Pym. I think that could be an interesting point of connection where when we first meet them in Ant Man, like they, they're they're like right on the tail end of a very you know bitter estrangement. Oh yeah. So with Ava coming in here, placing the blame on Hank, hey, you could I think you could have had some kind of interesting point of connection or conflict, uh between you know between Ava and Hope on the on those yeah. grounds, you know, it, you know, going back to that father daughter relationship that's kind of at the core of these films. And then you
1: could you know, you could find drama for Hank there where, you know, you could have this fear of losing this connection that's been reconciled. Like that's you know, he, he also in addition to needing his wife back because it's his wife, you know, the if if he can't get Janet back, maybe he could see getting Janet back also as a means of preserving this reconciliation mm-hmm. he has with Hope and
0: Yeah, or, or 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 if Janet comes back, will Hope need me anymore? Maybe something a fear like that. Oh well, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the thing, because, like, you know, we talked about how the movie doesn't have these world-ending consequences, and it's all very personal. Um, but I do wish, like, with with this idea of like, your mom being gone for, like, 20 years and the hope
0: and possibly <laughs> And her father being gone for half of that as well.
1: Exactly. And, like, with this, this hope of being reunited with the mom lost for, like, a couple of decades, I feel like there's there's just with that being what we're after, I just feel like there should have been a, a bit more emotional weight to the movie
0: yeah like yeah again I think so many of the ideas are sound I just don't know we we don't we don't really dig deep as deeply as I think a lot of them are begging to be uh you know explored but I, I do still want to talk more about Ghost. I th- I think like, I, yeah sorry I, I personally think she's quite probably the most interesting character in the movie or at least. Most emotionally, the one, I, the one, I think the, the most emotional character. Um, well, first off, just the ghost effect I think is really cool and well done. I the, really love it. The suit is just so inhuman and creepy with the voice, and the, it, when she's just just her, one news effect I noticed where. We see like flash, like s- flashes of someone else, like as if like various aspects from from like alternate realities are kind of peeking in, where they're like either something's happening before or after she actually does it. There's that one scene where um where she threatens to go after Cassie, and just there's a, a quick flash of like someone like, uh, like kind of to the side where she pops in and is like screaming. And it disappears. Like, hmm. it's a, just a really creative effect that I think, and, and that kind of gets, you know, better and worse too with her kind of emotional fluctuations.
1: Yeah. And I think that, um, I think that she has like really cool body language. Just the, like the way she moves in the suit, whenever she first comes into the scene, uh, the way she holds herself, she does feel like super foreign. Um, to to everything going on, she just looks I mean, like you said, like really creepy. Um, mm-hmm. And and I like the I just I like the suit. I like I I think it strikes that right balance of being very clearly comic book while not being like silly. You can like Ant Man suit, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it continues that idea that we talked about. Uh, I remember from the the first Ant Man episode of of everything looking really tactile and real like. There's a, a physicality to it and it looks like there's something about it that makes sense instead of just being like, hey, this is a cool suit. Mm-hmm.
0: But just getting into the person, I, I think I just find the character really interesting. I, I like that she isn't just crazy the way Darren Cross was like there's there's a, there's a lot of pain in her past. And it's more like she, she wants something for very, very real, understandable reasons. Um I feel like there's an interesting as- aspect in Kamen's uh, performance. I feel like there's something of like a little girl kind of inside the performance where you know sh- this happened to her when she was a child and even though she was still trained as an assassin she's probably she's killed a bunch of people and done a lot of bad things she's still you know, never I feel like she I feel like she was never able to fully grow up like there's something very childlike about her even as she's you know the way she would just kind of go into fits of rage and almost like tantrums at times um and also just the performance i think Han john came in is fantastic like she she has to stay at this like really high like high pitch of a, of an emotional level for her, like all of her screen time and she's like on the verge of tears or actually crying like she has to stay at that level for the entire time and you know not become irritating or annoying or just or feel a forced or i i think she really maintains that level of empathy really well
1: yeah, and about just that idea of, of her feeling like someone who wasn't able to like grow up properly, and it, it still has, like her her emotional development was almost kind of stunted. Even the way she carries herself, I feel like you get that. Like with the with the reveal when uh, they're in their chairs and stuff, and just like the way she holds herself, and you know she's holding her arm and looking and like very meekly telling them what's going on, and it feels like those are those are the two stages yet she's at just like that very calm kind of unassuming uh not really trying to be obtrusive demeanor or just this these bouts of just you know extreme high uh emotion uh and i think she's really great um i really liked her uh before because she's in um some really good episodes of black mirror um and so I was just glad that the movie gave her scenes to, to show off that because I think she's great.
0: Yeah. Um, and just the, the the kind of the tragedy of her existence like the shot of just the little girl alone among the flaming ruins and the dead bodies of her parents. Oh, dude. When, um I don't know why it's so heartbreaking, but when uh, Bill Foster just hands her the teddy bear and she can't even take it. <laughs> no. It's it's so sad and the, the, I love that kind of you know, Bill Foster trying to step in and be whatever kind of father figure he can for her, even though he, you know, he can't con- control her and she, she doesn't listen to him. And like, even though she's going crazy and doing all these horrible things, he wants to be there to try and, you know, to for what you know, we're not telling. Not, we're not. Are we ever given like exact reasons of you know why this connection was born? Maybe just because he, he saw a little girl that needed help and kind of latched onto that. But
1: yeah, that's what it feels like. And I, I think her performance. And her ability to to maintain that kind of childlike state of mind really helps their connection a lot. Like, Mm -hmm. I you understand why he is so bent on being a father to her and being able to help her out. Because you do see, like, he still sees that child. And I think, like, maintaining that kind of connection between the two um, Mm -hmm. really helps endear us to his character.
0: Yeah, I think that whole scene where we get her backstory might be like the Maybe the like the the best of the movie, where talking about wish where, where she was trained by Shield again, you know, getting to Shield's very shady side, and essentially she she sold her soul for the promise of a cure, that you know that never happened. Just is you know building up her very embittered nature, and then and then going to over to Bill Foster. I, I do love the way as the film gets more and more extreme, you know he he I, th- th- there's like a, there's an element of like gentleman, uh like th- there's a like uh, even though. As he says, you know, as he and Hank, they hate each other's guts. But I love how they're, they're both kind of gentlemen about it. And they're you know, very respectful. And he like, more so. What? I would say, I think Bill more so. Yeah, like, if I have to, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll hold the phone while he can have a chat, while Scott can have a chat with his daughter about her you know her running shoes or whatever.
1: <laughs> I love that little touch. There's something about that, him just standing there with it that
0: I like a lot. Mm-hmm. And just like, and you know... He, they come to their office, they argue in red, but he still, he still gives them advice, even though it's, it's obviously a trap or, you know, uh, you know, Hank seems like he's, he's, uh, he's having a heart attack. I'll get his pills. Like there's, there's, they, they, there's a very, uh, just kind of respectful gentleman thing about that they have going on. Like even at the end, after you know they, they retake the, uh, they retake the, um, the lab and the, he's got the giant ants. He's like, all right, just go stand in the elevator. I'm not going to hurt you. Like this. There's there's such a lack of threat between you know between when we're dealing with him that normally would be a problem, but I kind of admire about this movie. Yeah, he's a weirdly
1: calming presence even in like the scenes of conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just the the moment that I love from him is you know when she's talking about going after um what would hurt the most you know and using it mm-hmm. as leverage and just just the way he said you know if you touch one hair on that little girl's head we're done. Yeah, uh, you just can't help
0: but love the guy. Yeah, like he, he 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 got into this because he wanted to help a little girl. He's not going to be a part of threatening another one. Like it's, it's yeah. just not in his nature. And just even even at the very end, where we see them cu- trying to escape, you know, again another element of that kind of gentleman's thing. Where after it's all over, Janet just goes and he and heals uh, Ava. Ava has been trying to kill her this whole time, but I have the ability to do some good, so I'm just going to do it and like there's so there's there's so little animosity in this movie there's there's no it's just, the, the whole movie is just so good-natured and kind i think and even if i wish you could have had more drama it's it's just kind of good for the soul in that way yeah <laughs> and, and speaking of that healing um there's the whole the whole thing yeah J- J- jan it's a big part of this movie uh do, do you feel like that the character really registers like it, it kind of varies for me as I watch the movie. There are parts of the movie like, I just don't care about Janet. and other parts where i like, oh wow, this is really emotional. It, um, how, how does that work for you? That you, her being such a central,
1: <laughs> it's, it's weird because, you know, obviously we didn't see her really during the first film. And we only see her either in the one, like in the flashback or when he sees himself in the mirror. <laughs> and then whenever Scott, she kind of inhabits Scott, uh, she is so absent from the movie that I, I've i come to, you know, the point where I really am invested in and in Hope and Hank's relationship. I completely buy them as father and daughter um, that it it feels it doesn't feel I don't feel the same connection to Janet as I do to Hank. Um, obviously, you know, just because we've had so much more time with him. But it feels like she's stepping back into this family dynamic that was... But that family dynamic is just... its It's been so untouched this whole time. Like, we haven't really seen what it looks like. We haven't... Mm-hmm. Like, we know they love each other. But that's mostly just acting on these... Like, well, you know, we're told that they had good relationship. We see the, the little flashbacks, which... is It's not nothing. It's not as if they don't set up any sort of connection. But, like, her return... like that is this climax that is what we've been building to and and i think it it almost feels unfair to the character because she's having to carry like all of this emotional weight with her arrival and so i don't I, i don't fault um pfeiffer certainly for for any lack of emotional connection um but yeah it's it's a it's a weird writing decision more than anything i guess just to to force so much weight onto a character that it just hasn't had enough time, uh, to, to really be able to carry it.
0: And I think that if they could have done it, if they leaned more on Michael Douglas, I'm remembering that scene where, uh, where Michael Douglas recounts the story of how he lost her. And that might just be the most emotional scene in either movie. And- where it's just the old man, you know, broken old man talking about what he lost and his mistakes and, and, you know, his life of regrets.
1: I love that. That's, that's the most emotional scene. I think even with her, ret- I like, I, I think her return is well done. And when Evangeline Lilly, who's fantastic, like starts breaking down, she, you feel that that feels like genuine emotion. It doesn't feel like acting. Uh, but because we get that same kind of scene in Ant-Man one, with character like with a character that's been more developed. I think it works better in that one. And then even after like the resolution in Ant-Man when he just sits back down, and you're like, is it possible? You know, hearing about Scott going there and then coming back.
0: You know what I think it is? I think it's because every single scene I think has to rebuild that emotion. So like every moment of like desperate longing that we see with Hank or Hope, or you know those final scenes where both of them, when they find, when they when they meet Janet and they're completely break, breaking down, those performances are genuine, and so we feel something. But it doesn't feel like as much of a catharsis as it could have been. It just feels like this scene has to take us from like, you know zero to a hundred, and it gets to about like sixty five, I think.
1: That's part of my issue with just. You know, you, with the idea of having pacing a movie the way this is, and just this constant retrieve this, talk to this person, go here. Now they get this. If you know, we we there's not a lot of tension. There's not a lot of just overt emotion, with the exception of like these individual scenes. And so that's like I I never once felt like we weren't gonna get that scene. I guess just because there never really felt to be any sort of consequence and you know like I, I love the scene where they're having to go to the school but like these scenes are so fun and so funny and so like hey champ how was school <laughs> i, I love one of my favorite lines in this whole movie and it's all because of the delivery is when he's in there and she's like you almost got it <laughs> you can do it like that that makes me laugh out loud every single time um but because the characters are carrying themselves this way it doesn't even feel like they've they've ever really feared that we won't get this last moment, you know, mm-hmm. like it's the movie's just carrying itself so lightly that,
0: well, I would, I would say it is that, because I think, I think, uh, hope does kind of carry that. Like she is generally very, very straightforward and business. Like it often incredibly pissed at, at Scott, whenever so,
1: I love the scene where she tells away. him to leave. Like, I think that really helps give this give it reminds the audience like hey yeah we're still after something and he's it's also kind of funny to have our protagonist be like the guy who's in the way so much of the time Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah so it's it's there it's not as if the movie's not able to function in that way it's just i just i'm a i guess I'm, i'm agreeing with what you're saying that we are having to go from zero to 100 because i don't know i don't feel like the movie's ever built up any sort of desperation to get here, you know, like this building emotion that like, this is what we've got to do. And if we mess up, we can't, it just, it feels like we're having fun and then we get her back with the exception of scenes that I, I do think work,
0: and this is one of those movies where I don't entirely know how I would fix sex. Like I, it is rescuing Janet from the quantum realm. Just not a compelling enough thing to hang a movie on.
1: I, I don't think, that that's the case because I think we've already talked through different ideas. That I think if if there are any sort of combination of them, I think we would get a better like if we had Sonny in a different position. It, if however you want to organize them, if you want to elevate one villain and then like make the other subservient, give a bigger external um threat. There have focus more on the relationship with Hope and Hank and the damage Hank's, co- uh, Hank's caused and like what you know getting janet is what he needs to help preserve this reconciled relationship and and struggling with what you said this idea that will also maybe getting her back and am i no longer her hero now that like she looks up to me just i think there's a there is a lot of drama with the pieces they have in place like there's a potential
0: so we just gotta cut ant-man the best part of the movie out (laughs) (laughs) there you go yeah okay that's I, i don't know if i can pay that price Like, and the thing is, I have all these structural issues with that, and I I don't think any dramatic scene achieves its full potential. And yet, like in the and most of those feelings come after the movie is ended. Like whenever I'm watching this movie, I'm having a great time. Like I'm constantly laughing. I think the action is very creative. Um, you know, Peyton Reed's not the you know he's not the most dynamic action director, but I think he's he's got a he's got so many awesome cool ideas. Like. I'm just constantly that 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 was clever. That was really cool, and it's just, it's just it's just a fun, pleasant movie to watch. And I think that I don't know if it like completely overrides and invalidates all the criticisms, but it just it makes them a lot less important. Like if this were a serious action movie, I think these central dram- dramatic flaws I think would have crippled it. But for at least for me, when a movie is fun, <laughs> I cut it so much more slack. Like. You know, if, if it makes me happy it gives me a good time i'm much more forgiving about of other, of other issues
1: yeah and that's like you can only criticize it so much if if you're at least having fun with it uh and i i definitely have fun with this and to talk about uh, the movie's humor um uh, i there's there's certain jokes uh certain ongoing jokes in this that don't land for me uh but there's also just these individual lines and scenes that I just, I think are so funny and I have so much fun with. It's like, if, if I'm audibly laughing or at least smiling as often as I am here, like it's, I feel like it's still, you know, it's a net positive because I'm having a good time with it. Yeah. <laughs> like one of my favorite lines is just like entangled. Oh, no, Hank, I respect <laughs> you too much. I would never do <laughs> like, it's, there's these little moments where it's like, I, I can't, like, yes, I'm noticing these mistakes, but I'm having fun at least. Tell me you really destroyed the suit. I did. I destroyed the suit.
0: I can't believe you would destroy my suit.
1: Or, <laughs> Hope's just like, uh, can we focus? Hope, please, we got to focus. <laughs> uh, oh. It's just fun.
0: Another uh, great side character is, um, it's Agent Wu, right? Randall Park? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's I don't know why like this character could have so like I think if it was played at just a slightly different pitch it could have felt like so irritating and sitcom, but it's just it's it's kind of hilarious like, where he he talks like when um when Cassie says why are you bothering my my daddy well <laughs> your daddy you know, you know how you draw on the walls that's you get my trouble? favorite bit with him well, your daddy drew on the wall in Germany with Captain America. And he gets into this like incredibly technical nitty gritty, you know, quoting all these Article 5, whatever, subsection, whatever there. And he's like, okay, sweetie. And it's, you're great with kids. Thanks. I'm also a youth pastor. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, that character is, I I feel like that character is, is 50-50 for me. Like there are certain bits with him that I don't think work. And the thing is like, when it works, I think it's really funny. Like, I love the, oh, yeah, I'm also a youth pastor. I just, and, and I like it the end where he's like, Did you, did you want to get dinner? <laughs> or, or, like, I like just that he's this guy who just, I mean, he explicitly says, You know, like, I need a win. Um, and so, like, there are these moments that I think are super funny with him. Like I said, the, the one you mentioned was my favorite part. It's like, Taddy, do you want the rolls, Just, this, he, yeah. But then there are other moments where I just like the, like a lot a lot like that that doesn't really work for me um and and just you know leaning in like how did you do it i I think part of it is because like i'm still thinking like whenever i'm thinking government like mcu government i still have like winter soldier and civil war in my mind and and all of i think you know there's there's a lot of um a lot of strengths in franchise storytelling, but they come with a, they do come with a level of burden to me. And like, you have like, you have to be able to look at this movie and reconcile its existence with everything else. And so, there's just something weird to me about like having to imagine that this is like an actual legit FBI agent dealing with the fallout of civil war and like, but seeing how serious civil
0: war took itself and how much I like that. Maybe this is a sign of how how they don't take. Ant-Man, seriously, <laughs> this is the agent <laughs> who yeah, took in charge of the, the line case. Uh, that's how unimportant and backburn this is. Uh, but speaking of Civil War, I do really like, I think this is this is a really good, I think really clever method of, uh, example of good franchise storytelling, like where they could have just easily kind of just hand-waved away Civil War and just with a single sentence Kind of just brush away all the consequences, but no, this entire film is is you know every step of the way is dealing with the ramifications of civil war. The, the house arrest is is one of the, the central plot lines and you know providing one of the main antagonists for the film in a way that they didn't have to do, but I think it just feels it just makes this movie feel a part of the rest of the universe in a way that same movie like God, The Rise of Skywalker didn't. Um, mm, don't bring it. <laughs> And just running through a couple, some of the characters we mentioned, um, we mentioned Cassie, but again, I I got to really praise you. I think her, her name's Abby Ryder Fortson. I think she is just an absolutely phenomenal child actress. And she has just perfect chemistry with, uh, with Paul Rudd and her line delivery is so good. Whether it's just a funny one liner or the draw kind of dramatic scene. And there was this one absolutely adorable scene after, um, Scott messes up again. I think he leads to after he gets uh, Hope and and uh, Hank arrested, and and you, there's this kind of dialogue. You know, I seem to mess up every time. You know, maybe you just need something to watch on your back, like a partner. And then he's like, "Yeah," but but she but she hates me. And then she gets like, kind of the like, confused look on her face. Wait, who do you mean? Me? Don't laugh. I'd be a great partner. And it's so adorable. And like, I love that. They didn't play her as this kind of wise behind her years, where she has the real answer that he needs. No, she wanted she, she wanted to be a superhero. Of course, she did. She's a little girl, and it, it's just it it's, it's so it's so beautiful. It's so cute. It's that adorable. moment
1: is incredible, and she is incredibly adorable. And we are agreed that the worst crime this five year time has done is removing her. From, we need flashbacks on flashbacks with this next Ant Man movie. Dang it! Yeah.
0: Then there's uh, the the uh, the uh, Lewis and the three wombats. Um, and even if they don't need to be in the movie and they're kind of extraneous, you got to keep them. <laughs> and I do like that they've, they've now started a security firm and th- that's another subplot of where, you know, of how they're really struggling and they, they couldn't afford a desk for Scott.
1: <laughs> so it's like, one of my favorite things in this movie is just this, like, super side 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 subplot of them trying to land the fish as, as he puts just like with that kind of permeating all of the scenes with them like we're in the middle of this movie we've got our own conflict any time we go over to them like we're just they just seem to be consumed by this holy other plot that we we're just so uninvolved in it's, mm-hmm. it's really funny to me yeah,
0: who are you and how do you know? How do you know so much about car wash protocol? I think I'm going to use that now. <laughs> now I'm, never, I'm a stranger. This crazy creepy cat who walks through walls and stuff, like a ghost like Baba Yaga, <laughs> which uh, D- David does. I think it's Davis David Das Malchin or Malkin, um, as the weird <laughs> the weird Russian guy <laughs> just hilarious. Oh, uh, the scene after um after Lewis goes on the whole spiel to Sunny, and they're like um oh like where is he? Literally speaking, always oh, in the woods, and then uh, a <laughs> ghost just materializes right next to Sunny. Like the woods, <laughs> everyone just kind of screams and freaks out. But then we cut to um, we cut to uh, that the the Russian guy is like he's singing. He's like oh, Baba Yaga, and he's like this like old Russian folk song about Baba Yaga. It's so good. Uh, just and th- sure, they only put that you know, the, the Lewis explains scene in <laughs> because by popular demand, but it is so good. And the whole misunderstanding you later, you? Of the whole, all the, you know, where is he? I thought you about where he was emotionally speaking. <laughs> Just, yeah. Like my hairdo. I'm all business. Like it's, it's it, like all of that I think is even if it, even if this movie is a total mess structurally, I think every little element like that just plays into kind of the heart and soul of making Ant Man just the adorable, weird redhead stepchild that it is in the MCU. Uh,
1: what do you? So, how do you think this movie's action compares to the first one? Um, you know, we kind of talked about his style a little bit, but in terms of like the actual action scenes themselves,
0: I think it's pretty comparable. I think not having that, I think the height I think just a heist is such a great action yeah. idea. That maybe it doesn't come across as memorable because it's more just separate action sequences. But I think if you actually just look at the nitty gritty, I think it's pretty comparable.
1: Yeah, that's that's how I felt. There, there weren't any like Thomas the Train scenes for me though. Like, you know, you there's never like running across the knife is awesome, <laughs> and I love like uh, you know the chase with all the cars is really fun.
0: One scene that I adore is when jo- Ghost jumps through the SUV and kicks the guy off the motorcycle on the other side. Oh. But, oh, oh I think one one thing I th- that I think is incredibly good is the Ghost versus Ant-Man and Wasp action. I think every, every time they're kind of against each other, I think you know, it's really quick, it's clever, and I like that it's not just two people who shrink. Like, there's two very different sets of powers, and they just, it, it's... I think a lot of the other action can feel kind of just not not I don't know, obvious as the war, but just very kind of this happens and this happens. But I think when when those two characters are fighting, it's very clear, it's very clean. But just is, there's a sense of speed and intensity to it that a lot of the other action.
1: Not my turn of the century chandelier. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. They just, I think it's just really creative. Yeah.
1: One thing I I don't know if I'm al- alone in this, uh, but. Something that I felt, especially on this most recent rewatch, is like all of the action scenes are good, but it it feels like the climax to me doesn't feel like a climax almost like it feels like all of these action scenes are that like middle of the second chapter action scene, but it's just, it's a series of them. And then the movie ends.
0: Yeah. They they have the ticking clock of, you know, we got to enlarge the building before Hank comes at, back out with Gianna. But yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't really feel like that. The, the, maybe it just doesn't have the desperation. Yeah. Is it that you would expect. like I, there's, there's not an action
1: scene. I actually dislike. Like I, I like all of them, but it does like, you know, the initial fight in the kitchen, um, the initial, like, uh, the, the second conflict with ghosts, the chase scene at the end, like it, it, it doesn't feel like there's this any sort of real build in terms of the action. It just it feels like, like any one of the action scenes here would be that kind of second chapter action scene or, or wherever, um, in another movie. And it's it's just a series of these moments. It helps because I think they're all cool and well done. But that, that's just kind of what what I felt this especially this this rewatch.
0: Yeah, I think he makes great use of just how many things can you do with shrinking. And I, I, yeah. I, I, it never feels like it's getting just ridiculous. Like just things like shrinking the bike out of one of the goons or just throwing a giant <laughs> Pez dispenser at one. Um,
1: I love the guy running into the salt dispenser.
0: Oh yeah, yeah! Oh, in going you know driving the little Hot Wheels car into them and then enlarging to just flip over trucks like that. That that's just awesome.
1: Right. I love him using the truck kind of as the scooter. That's a great visual.
0: Yes, it, it's all it's all fun. Um, maybe I think it might be because I. I I think it doesn't feel like a climax because the the, the climax doesn't really have a climax because it just gets really small at the end where oh he's giant and oh no he's drowning so she has to save him and that is kind of a probably a fairly small and contained fist fight between them and then Hank comes out and it's over yeah. like it, the the climax doesn't have its own you know crescendo in a way how do you feel about Janet just healing healing Ava
1: yeah. I don't know how well that actual moment works to me. It feels like like Janet feels so disconnected. She doesn't know what's going on with Ava. She's It's it's weird to me that she steps... She senses it quantumly. <laughs> she sensed a disturbance in the quantum realm. Yes. Uh, but it, it feels... It feels weird for her to step out and be like, oh, I think I can fix this. And then just kind of touch her. And it also feels a bit like like the, I don't know, easy way out. Like, mm-hmm. oh, everything's here. We, it it feels like that kind of end of the movie bow, like bow tying. Kind of like, okay, what what are all the things that we've got to do? Okay, here, here, here. Like kind of. Wipe our hands off and, and move on. Done and
0: done. Yeah, I, I'm kind of of two minds on this. Like one, I do. As I said before, I love the that the first instinct is I can heal her. So I will heal her. She's been my enemy, but I can do this good. Like, I love that idea. I almost wish like she tried to heal her and it didn't work. And so she just kind of has to walk away still suffering. And then you know, I have to find another way. Also, because I kind of want to see that char- more of that character. I think the actress is really good, and it's a very compelling thing. Like, I don't know, I, 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 I kind of, I, I, you know, it sounds really cruel and heartless. You know, I want her to stay in that, you know, unimaginable pain and suffering. But as you say, it does feel so easy, and like we're just putting uh, just too neat of a bow on everything, and it comes out of nowhere. And
1: I, I know that the movie is like self-aware enough to where You've got the lines, and you're like, do y'all just put the word quantum
0: in front of everything? <laughs> the line where after uh he he, he spots sunny on the uh, on the fairies like how did he even have time to buy a ticket <laughs> <laughs>
1: that line is fantastic um but I, I don't think this movie uh has this the same problem the way others do like there are movies that do this like really egregiously to me where it's like you think by by saying the problem explicitly, you then get to commit it and just say, I'm self-aware. You <laughs> see, I said it. I know, I don't, it's not that I don't know that I'm Only oh, Edgar Wright could do that. Exactly. You know, you've got to have really competent hands, real, a real set of skills to be able to do this and pull it off. Um, but, you know, you've got this idea, like it's quantum, 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 blah, blah, blah. Like, yes, we get it. It's funny. All of these are big. Like, this is all just little plot devices to keep moving on. But for her to just come up and be like, "Oh, I've got quantum energy. Here you <laughs> go." And it, yeah, I don't know. It feels it does. It does feel like they're relying on this quantum stuff a bit too heavily, and then just trying to cover all their bases with with some you know quips.
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, it does. It does feel a little cheap. And I and again, I would have loved to have seen that 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 character, whether it's a villain or an antihero, in the second film or the, or the third film. I mean. I do love the the, the ending scene where <laughs> you know, a drive-in theater in the in the uh, the shrunken car yeah. and watching the movie on a laptop. Just
1: that is a great visual. And,
0: and the end credits where it's like these toy model set things, and <laughs> I think the, the macro photography throughout is just gorgeous. But the, the way they, the that fake macro photography look is just it will never get old to me. And then there is that end credit scene. Wow. <laughs> Um, I had totally completely forgotten about Infinity War and I was not expecting this at all. Like, okay, they're going to set up the next movie like some kind of cool quantum thing and then, you know, guys, guys, and we kind of cut to the, you know, the dusted people and I like almost swore out loud in the theater. Just it was that much of a shock. It just instantly like we've had this delightful time and then we're right back into the darkest moments of Infinity War. It, it was, it, I, I honestly, I think it's kind of brilliant.
1: Yeah. I, I like it a lot. I think it's, I think it's a smart decision just in terms of like big picture, just what Kevin Feige had, was doing with this moment of, you know, giving us that amount of fun, but like still reminding you where we are, you know, um, not allowing that to, to get away from us, um, so, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I th- and I think it's a cool scene, too. I think it's a cool, and I like that we don't have to be told. Like, there's just the assumption, like, y'all, we're not kidding anybody. Everybody watching this has already seen Infinity War. You know the visual. Let's just do that and cut.
0: And I just remember something. Did they not say that they were collecting the quantum material for Ghost? Yes, yeah. Okay, so she maybe she's only, like, um, temporarily. that's
1: right. Well, cured. so did they say explicitly for? Oh, yeah, yeah, because he said for our new friend. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think they did say for us. So maybe we'll we'll see her again, and that'll be a plot point somewhere later on. All right, so uh, moving into the uh, score of the film, uh, I did have some thoughts. Uh, Adene over to the Wasp Lady Sings, or Stings, not Stings. <laughs> uh, and this was kind of the main Ant Man theme. Um, and uh, to start negative, I think this this is what the th- the main theme kind of reminds me of why this score is so frustrating for me and maybe it was just the mistake of you know after having listened to all you know all 6 Mission Impossible theme uh, soundtracks the Ant-Man theme as fun and kind of cute as it is it really just feels like a cheap Mission Impossible knockoff um and it just it, it doesn't do enough on its own to stand out for me but I, again, it, it, I think it's a fun theme, and it, it's, it can be really well adapted to various tones and various kind of styles, which again is a plus. But and it's funny, like this this soundtrack is like really respected among like you know film score junkies, which is kind of baffling to me. I don't find it like all that impressive, but hey, people like it. A couple more ones I mentioned: the prologue, which it kind of it's this very like a sense of quiet memory and longing then we have like this really desperate action and like the, the dramatic sacrifice as, uh, as Janet kind of goes in. And then there's a really describing emotion. Like it feels like loss and there's this cold suppressed sadness and like even hints of obsession. I, I, I think the music has a lot of kind of a, is able to express those emotions really well. Um, I think my favorite aspect of the, the, the film is Ava's theme. Uh, it shows up in a ghost in the ghost in the machine, it's this kind of lonely echoing haunted sound. Um, there's, a, there's electronic elements with his, with these just dis- really distorted female vocals kind of screaming out underneath. Like it's, it's like almost like wails of pain. Um, it's just, it's, I think like, again, very, it's very thematically on point where this very distorted electronic music with these scream, these kind of cries and wailing underneath really, uh, represents you what, what, where, what that character is, uh, this is world world's greatest grandma it's a very fun uh techno heist it's like the uh the ant-man theme playing very small and electronic almost like a it sounds almost like a video game kind of arcade sound ava's story i think is, is a, you know, a really emotional piece it kind of has the regret and the loss but the, also there's a lot of darkness and danger in it um partners uh is a very peaceful sweet there's like a little bit of sadness underneath it it has it's a is, is there's another theme in here i don't know if it's, it's like cassie's theme or the family theme but it's this very it's like happy and sweet but also there's this element of sadness underneath it it's, uh, then there's arthropodi uh this one i think is really cool it's it starts out it's the ant man theme uh played on a piano uh, in the, on the super high keys and then it, as it goes on it starts moving down the piano and then other instruments will come in without ever going completely bombastic or up until the end. Like it just, it's this really long track, but it's this constant playing of the Ant-Man theme, just in little variations and kind of getting uh, you know, deeper and deeper as it goes. Then we get like this full blown techno and orchestral thing kind of mixed together of the theme. It's, it's a really cool piece. And then the final one is uh the Baba Yaga lullaby, which is a uh, song by a uh, uh, David S. Malchin. Uh, <laughs> it's very funny. Um, so uh, just just from watching the film, do you have any thoughts on the score at all?
1: It it feels somewhat forgettable to me in the moment. But at the same time, that's aside from a few moments like in The Force Awakens, I don't really notice the score all that much during that movie. And I think that score is great. So having not listen to this score by itself it could be a lot better than i'm thinking it was just used weirdly the only moment for me that really stands out during the movie is when they played like the main theme but in that really like psychedelic way at the school uh (laughs) like i like that a lot uh but that's at after all is said and done that's really the only musical moment that ever really sticks out to me
0: all right and so let's move into our star rating and ranking for this film what do you give this out of five stars james and how do you rank the mcu up till now
1: uh, so I give this three out of five. I, I like it a lot, uh, but I do think that it still has. I, I mean, as we've gone, I don't want to rehash things too much, but you know, there, there's. I I just feel like we needed more emotion, more conflict, and all of the moving pieces feel disparate from each other. There's there's not a lot of connections. So, um, yeah, that's that's uh, that's where I have it. Star rating. Uh, as for the the rating, of the series. Uh, I go number 1, Winter Soldier, number 2, Avengers, number 3, Infinity War, number 4, Civil War, number 5, Guardians of the Galaxy, number 6, Iron Man, number 7, Spider-Man Homecoming, number 8, Thor, number 9, Iron Man 3, number 10, Captain America the First Avenger, Um, number 11, Thor Ragnarok, number 12, Age of Ultron, number 13, Doctor Strange, number 14, Black Panther, number 15, Ant-Man... Number sixteen, Iron Man two. Number seventeen, Incredible Hulk. Number eighteen, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume two. Number nineteen, Ant Man and the Wasp, and number twenty, Thor the Dark World.
0: I just want to be out of the MCU, so we don't have to say twenty movies. <laughs> After this, right. uh, so for me, I give it, I give it three and a half stars. Like it's such an infectiously fun and entertaining film, and I, I think the the Ant Man movies have been able to really carve out their own identity. Within the MCU, in ways that I would say better films like Doctor Strange maybe haven't as well. Like, yeah, it just they have it has its own tone, its own identity, and I it just they they just make me happy to watch them, and that's that, that's not nothing. So I, I'll give it three and a half stars. um As far as a ranking in the MCU, it's a number one, Captain America: Civil War, two, The Avengers, three, Guardians of the Galaxy, four, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, five, Avengers: Infinity War, six, Iron Man, seven, Thor. Eight, Age of Ultron. Nine, Doctor Strange. Ten, Spider-Man Homecoming. Eleven, Thor Ragnarok. Twelve, Ant-Man. Thirteen, Iron Man 3. Fourteen, The Incredible Hulk. Fifteen, Captain America The First Avenger. Sixteen, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Seventeen, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Eighteen, Black Panther. Nineteen, Iron Man 2. And twenty, Thor The Dark World. All right, so moving to some of the, the initial, initial reception. This film earned $216 domestically and uh, 406 in the foreign markets for a worldwide total of $623 million on its roughly $160 million budget, uh, make, making it the lowest grossing MCU film since the first Ant-Man. However, it did make over $100 million more than the first film worldwide. Oh, it stands are. at number 18 in the MCU, both worldwide and domestically. As far as critically, uh, it received 88% on Rotten Tomatoes and 70 on Metacritic. Which is funny because like this, it's it's higher on both sites than the first film. However, I don't think that's due to people actually liking this better than the first film. I think it's more to people actually over the last three years realizing that Ant Man's actually kind of awesome. And so rather than because like, I feel like there's there's a feeling when they went to the first Ant Man, like oh, it's just the MCU formula and like why do we need Ant Man? We we want big big Marvel films. However, I think in the last three years people have really come to appreciate the, the unique things that the ant-man films bring as they're much more primed to like this movie going into the sequel that they were in the first film do you feel that's the case
1: i i think so and i also just i think that um there was just a shift in more positive like you think i think back at whenever thor and Captain America first came out. And, you know, those are both, like, in the 70s on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know what their Metacritic score is. But I feel like if those same movies came out now, like, they'd be in the 90s, you know. And so I I think part of it is just that everybody, like, the MCU put in its work to be fully embraced. And at this point, like, there's, there's not a lot of people going out of their way to be down on any of them, really.
0: Mm-hmm. I think well there's a lot of people out doing that but well yeah but the just in terms of
1: like the <laughs> the uh certified critics and stuff it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people trying to be edgy anymore it's just like mm. well no yeah it it feels as if movies have to genuinely like these movies have to get something like legitimately wrong i think and have something like get it wrong enough to be a talking point um for them to get any sort of like real negative uh score
0: yeah, there's that too. All right. So on that note, that was our review of Ant-Man and the Wasp. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, again, I'll ask, I'd ask you to please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review and subscribe while you're at it. it would, uh, very much appreciated. Uh, if you want to like us on Facebook, we're there as Franchise City Podcast. If you want to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, we're on both of those sites as at Franchise Pod. And if you want to find our other episodes, you can go to com. And where can people follow you, James?
1: Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd. I am there as JL Hamry. It's J-L-H-A-M-R-I. And you can also follow us over uh, on the Outer Rim, a Star Wars group. We are a Star Wars discussion group. And despite the Skywalker saga ending, there's still plenty of Star Wars stuff to talk about. You know, the Mandalorian Season 1 may have ended, but we've got Season 2 announced. We are very close to the release of Season 7 for the Clone Wars. Resistance Season 2 is wrapping up. And... Uh, there is a lot of rumbling about uh, a new animated series from Dave Filoni to to take the Resistance slot. So,
0: and we're also supposedly uh, going to get the next Star Wars film and director announced this month. Oh, that's Avengers right.
1: So, yeah, there's there's a lot going on. So, even still, despite all of the culmination and conclusion, there is a lot going on there.
0: And I'm also on Letterbox. You can find me there as Gabriel Green. You can follow me on Instagram as Gabe the Great Green, and I have a YouTube channel called Greenery one where I talk, where I make these um, movie-based music videos. So next week, uh, we're again going to take a break from the MCU to do our retrospective episode on 2019 um, to talk about the many, many films and a, a whole bunch of other smaller, fun categories of things that we uh, what we thought about just the year in film that was 2019.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of more subcategories because I love this stuff. <laughs> so. Until next week, we will see you in the new year. You can do it. You
0: can do anything. You are the world's greatest grandma.